Once again, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, it is hard to believe that we've been in this for 35 weeks. I don't think it's going to take us 35 more to finish, but uh, we are moving through and we're going to be making a big transition. We want to just spend our time on one verse tonight. And uh, as is in the note in your outline, if you need an outline, wave your hand. I think Brother Dave's got a few. He can get you one if you would like. Um, This verse is often pulled out. And, and preached on as if it were all by itself, if this verse were a standalone verse. Now, in the book of Proverbs, there are many standalone verses. In the Sermon on the Mount, there are none. There is no such thing as a standalone verse. And so, every verse is connected to what is before it, to what is after it, and in the context of the entire message. And so, as we read this verse, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. People like to take that verse, and they like to say, see there, you've got to make a choice. You've got to choose one or the two, but... If you just take that verse all by itself and pull it out of the context that it's in, it really destroys the entire meaning of the passage. Jesus is dealing with three things in this portion of his message. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's dealing with the issue of light. And that last phrase there, if the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. And there is no person that is deceived like the self-deceived person. There is no person that, that is harder to deal with you ever met someone that thought they knew everything? How many of you have seen that bumper sticker, that little slogan, those who think they know everything really upset us who do? And uh, they, they go, we, we laugh at that, but, the, you know, honestly, if you want the American approach to life, that's it right there. And, and that's not a good thing, because nobody knows everything except our president and his cabinet. They, they claim they know everything. And uh, that's scary in and of itself. Let's move on to a little less fearful subjects tonight. Amen? Um, but we grow accustomed to many different things. And it is easy to change our patterns and the way we live. You can grow so accustomed to darkness, is what this verse is talking about, that it becomes your light. You see, every person has to see. Every person sees something. 
They understand something. The only people that do not understand, that do not see as it's being used here in the Bible are those who are mentally incapable of seeing anything. They will never develop to that point to where they will understand anything that is going on around them. And that, that is a tragedy when that happens. But God gives us those things. Part of it is just to show us what a great gift He has given to us in a reasoning mind. Amen? But have you met people that have been so full of themselves or so full of whatever it is that they're full of that you, you just cannot convince them of anything. I mean, you can have the truth right in front of them, printed in black and white, signed by uh, President Obama, and they won't believe you. Of course, if he signed it, would you believe it? Uh, I'd want to see a little more proof than that. But we grow accustomed. We can change so much about our perception. Sometimes you've watched people, family members, someone you're acquainted with, sink into the depths of depression. And they just begin losing touch with reality a little bit at a time to the point to where they will no longer even communicate in proper sentences to another human being. It's tragic. But this is what Jesus is talking about here. If the light that is in you be that darkness. If your only understanding of life is what the Bible calls darkness. I'm sure if you listen to the news at all, you've heard about the tape of this church with the little boy that they were trying to exercise the demon of homosexuality. How many of you have heard that blip on the news? I mean, it's just been all over the place. And, and of course, what they have to do is put a sodomite rights person on there right after that to say how they've injured this little boy. And the only problem is they're probably right, but it's not what they're thinking. What I want to know is how much injury has been done by the sodomite rights people to a 16-year-old boy to make him experiment with such things in his own mind, if not otherwise, and destroy his entire future and call it good. That's darkness, my friend. That is incredible darkness. And when you have that choice between light and darkness, this verse 24 is a transition. It is, ma- it is taking us to the end of the chapter. I don't know how many people have quoted to me, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Oh, i got to do is seek God's kingdom. Uh, no, wait a minute. You cannot seek God's kingdom nor His righteousness until you take care of the issue of light and where your treasure is, and where your heart is, until you take care of these things. And then verse 24 is the last of the three things Jesus is dealing with here. You've got to decide where your heart's going to be. You've got to decide what your light is going to be. And you've got to decide who your master is going to be. These are choices that each individual must make in their own life. And if you don't make these choices... You say, 
I'm just not going to choose. I've got time. No, you've made a choice. There is no such thing as not choosing your light. Have you ever met anyone that says, that's your truth. I have mine. Oh, there are a few things that gets my blood pressure up quicker than that one. You have a cardinal, a terminal misunderstanding of what the word truth is. Because if you can have it and it belongs to you exclusively, it's not truth. Truth is truth, whether you believe it or not. Is anybody here old enough to remember the stupid little ditty that Oral Roberts came up with? God settled it. God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it with me. Does anybody remember that? Well, truth is settled because God said it, and it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's still truth. Amen? Uh, you've got to make some decisions here, and this is what the Bible is talking about. There are three things, the issues of your heart that is dealt with. Treasure, light, and who will your master be? If you remove this, uh, these three issues, and, and as I was reviewing this message, how many times in the Sermon on the Mount does Jesus deal with your eternity? Now, remember, the topic of the sermon, the, the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall no wise enter into the kingdom of God. There, it is, what is it going to take for you to enter God's kingdom? What, is it going, what are God's standards for you being allowed into His kingdom that's what this sermon is about. And Jesus goes back repeatedly. He says, listen, if you say to your brother, thou fool, who remembers what you're in danger of? It's not the council. It's not church discipline. It's hell fire. If you're battling with lust and losing the battle... He says, listen, if you're not going to get serious about this and treat this battle serious enough, if it is your eye that is causing the problem, get rid of it. If it's your hand, cut it off. Now, of course, we understand Jesus is speaking in what we call hyperbole here, an exaggeration, but he's not really exaggerating. He's saying, unless you attack this issue... He said, because it's better to go into hell blind, one-handed, and one-footed. Into heaven, I'm sorry, whoa. Uh, into heaven with one eye, one hand, and one foot than it is to be cast into hell with a whole body. You know, we don't, we don't get serious about our relationship with God anymore. It's just something we do. People want to take these verses and they want to skip over them and get down to verse 33 because it has some wonderful promises and it really does. But until you decide where your treasure is going to be and where your heart is, you can't seek God's kingdom first. Until you've come to Jesus and said, listen, I want your light to be my light. 
How many of you have had the opportunity to go someplace or... Uh, well, I'll tell you where I'm going. Uh, that wall that I tore all apart in our bedroom had been sealed for years and years and years. Nobody but little creepy crawling things and whatever else might happen to have been embedded in the mortar of the wall has seen in that wall since 1935. But there was some little water seeping down in that wall. And there's a piece of steel, it's called a lintel, that holds the wall together over where the radiator was. That lintel had moved because of rust. And now there's probably about 60 to 75 bricks that need to be replaced in a little tiny section of wall. Tap on one and they all just go... It's it's scary thought. I mean, it really is. Because I live in that room. Uh, but uh, be in prayer. Brother Shaw's coming over tomorrow to put them all back. Amen. But you... There are things that are covered that you're not going to see for a long time. And we don't understand what's really going on or what's happening. And then all of a sudden, we can see little things left unchecked make great movements and great problems. And if we hadn't found that problem now and fixed it now, waited another ten years, just put another... We could have had a catastrophic failure. You wonder why you have buildings that just fall down or fall apart? It's because people haven't taken the time to turn on the light and look. And sometimes it takes an awful lot of effort to turn on the light now, doesn't it? And when you finally get the light turned on, you see a whole lot of things you wish you'd never known about. But if you don't, Get them fixed. Your only choice is disaster. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, he's making a statement. He said, you've got to choose where you're going to put your heart. You've got to choose what is going to be your light. And he says here... No man can serve two masters. I think if there's any verse today that is preached more against in the Bible, it is this one right here. This is, uh, I hope I'm not offending too many people tonight, but this is what the purpose-driven life is all about, is the exact antithesis of this verse right here. Jesus did not write... His word in your soul. And then you can put what is in your soul over top of Scripture. That's Mr. one of Mr. Warren's thesis in his book. There's nothing that is a greater lie that I can explain to you tonight than that. There is nothing in your soul or in your being that is going to draw you closer to Christ. There is nothing there that Christ can use. That's why it's called born again, not reformed again. That's why we're not reformed theologians. 
because there's nothing out there in the world theological system that we want to reform. We want the Bible. Amen? There is a choice that must be made. No man can serve two masters. And yet we're told to come to church as we are and stay the way we were and everything will be fine. Every time I sing that song, uh, Now I Belong to Jesus, that second verse is amazing to me. Once I was lost in sin's degradation. I don't think any of these modern songwriters could even spell that word, let alone put it into a verse that rhymes with something and actually says something. I mean, we, we skip that. Sin is no longer degradant. Does anybody here even know what a degradant is? That's the intellectual word that was used to call homeless people. They are degradants. They stink. They are not part of society. They are filled with every vice known to man, along with diseases. And that's what that word means. Once I was lost in sin's degradation means that I was a vile, wicked, hell-bound sinner. There is no connection. There is no meshing of ideas. How many of you had to take philosophy class? You remember thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. That's the way you're supposed to think. That, my friends, is a recipe for a bologna sandwich. There is no synthesis between God and the world. None. None whatsoever. You've got to make a choice. Who's going to be your soul's master? I've been talking with a young man. Uh, He's not here tonight, so I'll just ask you to pray for Yuli. He told me his inner, uh, what was it, his higher self told him to come to this church. Now, that's a code word for your demon guide in Eastern religion is what it is. Pray for, pray for him. Because the devil loves to bring people close to the truth and harden them to it. So that they'll have defenses against it. It's the way the devil likes to work. You see, it's all tied into this idea of two masters. The word master in, in, uh, demands submission. Who are you going to submit yourself to? Now, how many of you like a good spy story? And I'm not talking about that filthy, rotten James Bond stuff. He is not a spy. He is not a nothing except a corrupt, immoral human being. I mean the real thing. How many of you have ever read anything about World War II and the intrigue that went on? I mean, there are some incredible stories. The British made an interesting discovery one day as a parachute came down in the middle of the night somewhere in Britain. They found the person attached to that parachute had a little briefcase, and inside that little briefcase was an Enigma machine which was their top-secret code machine. And in there was a shortwave radio and several other things. And uh, they said, uh, 
Jolly good show. We'll give you a choice. You can die now or work for us. Well, of course, I'll work for you. What else? Now, this person was what we call a turncoat agent. Or were they a double agent still working for both sides at the same time? Oh, there's so many interesting and intriguing stories about people who tried to work for both sides during the war. But every one of them came to a point where they had to choose which one they were really for. You can't work for both sides. You just can't do it. There will come a time when the two masters' demands are going to be mutually exclusive. One of the great subjects that we think about as Christians and ought to is what is God's will for my life? You know, that, that subject determines what you do every day. It's, it's a decision that you're making. And, and here's one of the things that you can always know that it's never God's will when what you have to do contradicts something the Bible's already said. God's will is never mutually exclusive. God will never put you in a, cho- in, a cho- in a place where you have to choose to do this right or this right. That is not God. The devil is working in one of those things. You better watch out. You'd better be careful. God never ever contradicts himself, but the angel of light is often not an angel of light at all, but the devil himself now, isn't it? Be careful. This choice has to be made. One of those masters is going to win your heart, and the other is going to win your hatred. You know what the problem is? We say we hate the devil, but do we? How many times when something walks by that we know is wrong, some opportunity to indulge ourselves in something that we know isn't quite right, And we're looking and we're wondering and we're following that thing. That's not hatred. But this is what it says. It says you will love the one and you're going to hate the other. When I embrace sin, I am showing hatred toward God. That's what Jesus is saying right here. Saying there's only two masters. When I choose to bend His rules, when I choose to leave what is right, and and I could ask us today, how many of us have sinned this week, since Sunday? And, and 
If you're alive, your hand ought to be up. What are we... We better be careful here. This is serious stuff. What is the fear of the Lord? Does anybody remember Proverbs chapter 8? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. You've got to make a choice here because you're, you're either going to love one of those masters, they're going to win your heart. How many people just can't wait? Hopefully nobody in here. To get somewhere where nobody will see them so they can pull out a cigarette and light it up. Oh, boy, that preacher preached long tonight. You say, that's never happened here. Oh, I wish it hadn't. Wait, wait a minute. Where, what do you really love? How many people can't wait to get on the Internet and rent the next movie that's coming out? I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger can't do Terminator anymore because he's doing that to the state of California. But um, check the economic figures. He is. He's done a better job there than he ever did in a movie. The place is gone. But, uh, I mean, as a Christian, should we love that stuff? Should we want to see the next movie where the robot murders and maims and pulls people apart and all that kind of... I don't know if that happens or not. I don't watch that stuff. I don't want to. Because let me tell you what it does is it grabs a hold of your heart. It takes precious time and memory cells. You can only learn so many things. I wish that I knew my Bible as well as some people know their baseball card collection. I mean, they can tell you every player, every stat, how many games they played in this year. I mean, they know the whole thing. Now, granted, there's a lot more information in here than there is in a baseball card collection, but still... You get where we're going with this thing. You're either going to love one and hate the other, but look at the next look at the next one. Jesus is waxing a little poetic here, but he's got a purpose in this poetry. He's playing ideas off of each other. He says, "For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other." How many of you have ever been in a place where you just didn't know what to do? You just were totally confused. You just had no which way to go. You had no clear direction. You were just in one of those states in life where you didn't know what to do. You said, yeah, I was driving in Manhattan the other day. No, um, but all of us have been there. At that point, you're going to choose your master. Because you're going to hold to him. And the intellect and the intelligence of the other is just going to look like craziness. I can't tell you. I wish I had a dollar for everybody. Some, every time somebody told me, that Bible's crazy. You can't do that. I mean, this is a 21st century preacher. You've got a 1st century book. No, actually, it's a lot older than that. The Old Testament goes back about uh, 14, 15 centuries before Christ. 
I like my Bible, amen. But you're going to have to hold to one. You see, when I hold to this book, I despise the evolutionist. You wonder why they get angry at you? It's because you're despising them. You're telling them all their intelligence and all their intellect is nothing but a joke. And that man came out of monkeys? That's, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of humans act like monkeys, but I've never seen a monkey dumb enough to act like a human. Amen? I mean, that's despising them. It really is. And you're laughing. You've chosen the right leader to hold to. Amen? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And if you think that rock's a hundred million years old, what's that saying? You got rocks in your head? Yeah, probably so. Amen? Listen, you're going to have to make the choice. One is going to be ignored. The other is going to be obeyed. One is going to win your mind. When you relax and you turn your brain off, as we say, I'm just going to veg a few minutes here. Which master does it run to? Does it run to the latest dirty thing the world has? Or does it run to the Savior? You've got to train it. You've got to make that choice. And the Bible tells us we make that choice once when we get saved. But in essence, we make that choice every day of our life as we choose how we're going to live that life. Now, you take the rest of this passage right here, and we're going to, we're going to finish our outline tonight, but I just want to touch on this. You take the rest of this passage. I'm going to jump ahead. Therefore, I say unto you, verses 25 through 34, they're all connected to the choice you make. Are you going to spend your life trying to get things? Or are you going to spend your life being the servant of the Master? You see, the devil's always going to have you out there trying to get one new thing. How many of you tried to get the new thing? When you get the new thing, is it what they said it was? Did it solve all life's problem? Did it really fix what you got it for? No, it, it never works. I mean, every so often we'll have to pick up a tool to help us do some project around the building. We got a nice little collection right now and and I, I thought, well, once we have all the, once we have the tools, we got a real workshop. Then there won't be any more work to do. <laughs> no, uh, there's always be more work to do. But you know what I found out about even the most sophisticated, incredible, handy-dandy tool that's out there? It won't do nothing unless you know what how to do it with the tool. You got, you got to, you got to know what you're doing. It's not just having the tools. 
That's where the Master comes in. He'll tell you what to do with what you have. Amen? Now, you have two choices. You have one choice. I keep wanting to say two choices because it's either God or mammon, but it's only one choice. In order for it to be a choice, it must be between two things at least. So the choice demands that you got more than one thing that you can do. Jesus gives us two options. Therefore, you have one choice to make. God or mammon. Now, mammon is one of those criticized words in our King James Bible. Those who claim to be scholars... That is such a difficult word to understand, and it really doesn't mean anything. It's just a transliterated word. So I, I brought into the pulpit tonight, let's see here. This is volume IX, so that makes it volume 9 of the 23 set of the Oxford English Dictionary of the English Language. This belongs to Peter, but uh, I have it on semi-permanent loan. He's my oldest son. And uh, let me, I have it marked here. I looked up the word mammon in the English dictionary. You know, people get all excited about the Greek. And one of the reasons why they do is because they don't take time to study the English. Anybody can read and use this help. Let me just read you the introductory paragraph. It's, it's absolutely um, amazing here. It goes through uh, about 25 different uh, pronunciations and spellings of the word Then here's the introductory paragraph before the first definition. The New Testament phrase, and it gives it in the Greek, English version, mammon of unrighteousness, earlier versions, mammon of iniquity, wicked mammon, etc., represents exactly the Aramaic, and then it gives it in Aramaic, and I can't read it, so I won't tell you what it says, riches or gain of wickedness, and then it quotes the Targums, and approximately the more common... Uh, which is riches of falsehood. Now, that's the introductory paragraph. And it says that our King James Bible gives exactly the meaning in the Arabic. That's free. has nothing to do with the outline. I just thought you might like that for those that want to criticize the Bible. It's right. You just don't know the language well enough. To... Now, let me read the definition here. And I've got part of it. In here, it says the Aramaic word for riches occurring in the Greek text of Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and Luke uh, 16, uh, 9 through 13, retained in the Vulgate, owing to the quasi-personification in these passages, the word was taken by medieval writers as the proper name of the devil of covetousness. This use appears in the English in the 14th through 16th centuries and was revived by Milton and gives the quote out of Milton, That word does not occur in the New Testament translations of Wycliffe and Purvey, who substitute richness, but it was used by Tyndale, 1526 through 1534, and subsequent translators, with the exception of those of the Geneva Version. From the 16th century onwards, it has been current in English, usually with more or less of personification as a term of opprobrium for wealth regarded as an idol, or as an evil influence. Now, you read that, and that is everything you need to know. You might have to get a dictionary to look up some of the words that are in the definition there. But the simple truth of the matter is, it says that this is not a word that refers simply to money. 
It is a personification. It is an ideal here. It is a living, it is giving a human uh, uh, attributes to this word. We often talk about Lady Liberty, the blindfolded lady holding the sword and the scales, uh, picturing how liberty and justice ought to be met and, and meted out. Actually, it's Lady Justice that's pictured that way. Um, but simply put, you're given a choice between God and the world system, between God and the devil, between God and your desires, your plans, or your wishes. This is the choice. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, God is very simple. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. People like to use teleological arguments to prove the existence of God and all of these things and talk about how God designed it and all of, all of these things. And those are interesting, but God is not a God that is subject to human reasoning. If He is the Creator, you as the created being cannot understand nor comprehend Him any more than an alarm clock can understand the old geared style, understand the man who cut the gears and assembled them. You have to make a choice. See, I've met many people over the years who say, well, I'm afraid of God. Well, that's good uh, to a point you ought to be afraid well I'm afraid he's going to hurt me oh wait a minute that's blasphemy that's not a proper fear that's a demonic fear he that cometh to God must believe that he what is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him there's only one way you can come to God with that Mindset, if you like that word, with that understanding of God, it's by faith. You must choose to believe in God. And by the way, there are many people who choose not to believe in God. Every time someone says, I'm an atheist, oh, that's too bad. I sometimes get a little dirty look. One time, lady on Steinway Street, we were out street preaching and I said, are you honest? She interrupted the message to tell everybody there she was an atheist. And so I just, are you honest? I've never met an honest atheist. And as she's walking up the street, no kidding, she turns around and says, oh, I believe in God, and keeps right on walking. Prove my point? I mean, you couldn't ask, you couldn't write a script. You couldn't pay somebody to do that. But you've got to make a choice. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other choice. I had a Buddhist priest. We spent six months. Some of you remember uh, karma. Does anybody remember karma? He used to come. And he says, after months of going through the Bible, he was able to come, he was able to tell me the plan of salvation. 
He said, the way you put it, there is no choice. Either I accept Jesus or, or I, I don't go to heaven. I burn in hell forever. And I said, that's exactly what the Bible says. I said, you got it, karma. There's a lot of people that come to church that don't get that. And he says, but I don't believe it. I said, that is your choice. You have to make a choice. I said, I believe it. Because, you see, I want to serve God, not mammon. Mammon is a hard taskmaster. Because no matter how much you get, it's not enough. I listen to sports a little bit. I don't follow it very much, but I I just found out Shaquille O'Neal was now traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. LeBron James wasn't enough. Now they're going to dominate, right? Well, we'll wait and see now, won't we? See, no matter how much you have, I've often teased my boys. They're Yankee fans. They grew up in New York City. I'm from Baltimore. I still rooted for the Orioles when they set the record for the most games lost in one season. The best team money can buy. Isn't that what the Yankees are all about? But it doesn't get them a World Series every year now, does it? It's gotten them quite a few. But not every one. See, mammon is a hard taskmaster no matter what you do. It doesn't guarantee anything. How many people have gone to church all their lives? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? I hope so. Well, what do you base your hope on? Well, I'm as good as the next guy. Yeah, but your next door neighbor just might be Jeffrey Dahmer. He did live next to somebody. I mean, the level is awful low, and, and I've seen this. I've been in New York City long enough. Do you know what a sinner is? Yeah, that's a sinner over there, that guy that can't get out of the bar. He's there all the time. You go ask the guy at the bar, do you know what a sinner is? He said, a sinner is that, that poor degradant. We talked about them earlier. A homeless guy, he's drunk, he can't do it. You go to the drunk laying in the gutter in his own filth and, and say, what's a sinner? He says, I'm not one. He said, that bum down the street, he's really bad. Everybody's got somebody else that's worse than them. Uh, That's mammon at work, my friend. And when you're going up the other way, there's always somebody richer than you are. There's always somebody stronger. There's always somebody better looking. There's always somebody uh, whatever. You've got to make a choice. But here's the point of this choice. This choice is going to make a difference in the way you live your life tomorrow. That's what this passage is all about. Now, tomorrow, are you going to get up? And this is what we'll be doing in the next several weeks. And so we're going to cut it off real quick here. But take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat. Now, wait a minute. I'm a Baptist. That's, that's real important to me. That's real important in, in, in Greensboro, North Carolina, isn't it? Eaton. I got, is it South Carolina or North Carolina? 
North. Okay, I got it right. I mean, uh, when I first tried to explain that to our people up there, they used to laugh at me. And then they went to some other meetings and had some other preachers in, and they said, Hey, Pastor, you're right. This eating thing is really big. Oh, yeah. He is richest whose pleasures are cheapest. Amen. You've got to eat, so you might as well enjoy it. Hey, wait a minute. If all I'm interested in is what I'm going to feed myself with, I'm serving mammon. And my wife is a great cook. I mean, she makes good meatloaf. I never did like meatloaf until my wife started making it. I enjoy it. I'll tell you what. But no matter how many good meals she fixes, I'm still going to be hungry tomorrow morning. You know that? In fact, I might want a snack after church tonight. Um, No matter how much you eat, you're going to have to do it again, aren't you? So why waste your life on something that's not going to last very long? Can I give one really absurd example and then we'll be done? How many of you have seen somebody who at one time may have been a real beauty way past the age, way past everything, still thought they were 16? Have you ever seen anything like that? I mean, that is scary. That's mammon. And by the way, guys, they do it too. You see this 80-year-old guy? I mean, everything is already... Uh, how, how do we say that? It's just gone south. And he still walks around like this. But when he relaxes, everything changes. I mean, it just, it's just like a piece of jello. Whoop. I mean, you've seen it, haven't you? Am I the only one that's seen this? Come on. You've seen it, haven't you? There's nothing that is more ugly or disgusting than self-deception of that type now, isn't it? I mean, if you met one of these people, they would tell you how strong they are or how beautiful they are and, and just... You serve mammon, that's where you're going to end up. When you're dead, you're dead. They're making a big deal. Farrah Fawcett died today. That's, it's sad. Because knowing what we know, she died without Christ. That's tragic. But what's everybody saying? Oh, she was so beautiful on earth, she must be an angel in heaven. I'm sorry. Mammon. When mammon's done, there's nothing left. When God's done, life is just beginning. When this old body dies, I'm going to be glad to get rid of this thing. I'll tell you what. They tell me growing older just brings on more aches and pains. Well, I guess I'm going to find some things that I don't know that I have yet. But I'll tell you what. 
I'm going to be glad to get rid of this thing. I'm going to be more alive once I die than I've ever been. That's what serving God does. But you see, that decision, that decision is going to change how you walk tomorrow morning. Amen? It ought to change what you think about on your breaks. It ought to change. It ought to be governing everything about you. It ought to, it ought to determine your long-term planning, your short-term planning. It ought to change your goals. It ought to determine everything about you. Because you're either serving God or you're serving mammon. Everything you do serves one or the other. God does not want balance here. He wants us to serve God. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You tonight, and Lord, we ask that You would not allow us to take this verse out of context. That we would keep it in where it belongs. And Lord, that this would not be our sum total study of this verse. That You would allow us to take this thing home and think and meditate upon it. That we would work to get an understanding of what it really means to serve God. What it really means to have an eye that beholds the light of God. What it really means to have our heart and our treasure in the storage vaults of heaven. Lord, we ask that you would bring these thoughts and these words that Jesus preached into our hearts and lives and help us to live them tomorrow and the next day and every day till Jesus comes. In your name we pray. Amen.